Roses are red, violets are blue, what's the crack? You're very welcome to this week's The 42 Rugby Weekly, which is brought to you by Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Gavin Casey here, and I have to say I couldn't think of a better way to spend Valentine's Day than to be in the company of two strapping young gentlemen. Murray Kinsel is in studio. Harry Moza. Thanks for the intro. Lovely. Yeah, that's... Uh, you're very welcome. <laughs> and making his return from a prolonged podcast absence, it is the venerable veteran of The 42 Rugby Weekly, Mr. Andrew Dunn. Andy, on a scale of one to literally couldn't cope, how much did you miss us? Well, I came back for Valentine's Day. It's, it's a romantic gesture, I think, of the highest order. It means an awful lot to us. Yeah. It's great to have you here. You were, down, you were down in New Zealand. How'd you get on? Amazing, yeah. I was in at, a, at a wedding and then managed to travel around the North Island, a bit of the South Island in eight days. Thirty, You know, those 36-hour flights back and you arrive before you left. A bit confusing and then straight back into work. So, yeah. Uh, but I had a great trip. You made it over to Murrayfield, I believe? Yeah, was over on uh, on the old red eye on Saturday morning and back Saturday night. Um, yeah, it was uh, an interesting day. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the most memorable Six Nations game I've ever watched, to be honest. But, uh, you know, good to get that win. More importantly, we got a question on Instagram, I think it was. It was a Twitter. Uh, we, a- we asked for questions for the podcast and someone said, it was actually Peter Breen, Leinster Media Guru. What hair product is really done use? Which yeah. is a great question. Peter Breen asks, I'd like to know what hair product oh, Andrew yeah. uses. And Marcus Obukla, uh, who's the media manager at Leinster, followed up with, yeah, hair. And why don't you ever give Ding Dong Dun a social shout out? Hashtag justice for Ding Dong Dun. I'm not okay, sure if that's I even have no idea. Well, I, I've, got, I've heard the hair stuff before. The ding dong done is new to me, to be honest. It's oh, it was cryptic, but I can tell you, I go, oh, natural. There's no product in this wow. hair. That is. So that's, I think that's why it gets, gets a surprise. That is absolutely. It stands upright. <laughs> I mean, this podcast is obviously videoed as well, and people yeah. who are familiar with the video clips will know that to be <laughs> a miraculous fact. <laughs> absolutely marvelous. Uh, Murray, your reflections on Murrayfield. Like, the interesting thing about the game, from my perspective anyway, and uh, I'm aware that nobody really cares for my opinion, but uh, <laughs> like we were so used to Ireland being a kind of machine in 2018, like well-oiled machine was the term that was used so often. And I think the England defeat and how they responded to it, particularly in the first half in Murrayfield, probably showed us that as much as they were a well-oiled machine, they are still just a group of human beings and human beings tend to make human errors like they responded in a kind of a nervy fashion and yet they dug it out and it would probably stand to them in the long run yeah absolutely and i think even if you look back to the grand slam game grand slam winning games their performances against scotland and wales were by no means perfect there was loads in those games if you if you actually go back and watch them where you could have said well the game could have swung the opposite way i actually agree with andy when i was at the stadium in watching it live I felt it was a poor game. I felt it was a frustrating game. When I went back and watched it during the week or looking at clips during the week, there was a lot more in it than I probably appreciated at the time. Or a lot more instances where Ireland were maybe close to, to really um, putting together a nice bit of attack and, and pulling a little bit further clear. Their defence was good at times. There was loads in it, even individually. Guys like Quinn Rue and Jack Conan in particular on second watch was really impressive. Um, so there's loads to, to dig into it there. While we're still short of seeing Ireland at their very best. That's definitely fair. I think they acknowledge that themselves and listen, there's loads of work to do in the, the last three rounds. Yeah, so the question I think we probably should try to answer is where can where can Ireland improve in the next three rounds? How can they improve in the next three rounds based on what you saw 
in Edinburgh, I might ask yourself first, and Andrew, I'm going to call you now, after Peter and Marcus. Uh, I think we can improve um, by reducing our rocks. That's why I kind of sound like a broken record at this stage. Um, I've, I've, I've constantly referred to that as a potential problem. The, <clears throat> the, the issue is, you know, we're, we're good at retaining possession. We would 60% possession against Scotland. We had 136 rooks. Um, I think we won 135 of them. So I just feel that it's a bit, it's just so, um, it does, it does soak up the energy levels in the team. Um, I, I had said kind of tongue in cheek uh, before that a breakdown in play is, you know, it's literal language, but your play breaks down. It doesn't mean it's it's a badge of merit that your play breaks down. It's like if you were a car salesman and you told someone this car breaks down 140 times a year, but we're brilliant at restarting it. Do you want the car? Do you know what I mean? We Our play breaks down so much. We actually seek out opportunities to break down our play in a bid to soak up defences, to get mismatches and then create space. And uh, It can be... It can be at times oversimplistic, but like if we had a poor set piece, if we had a poor scrum or line out, I could understand that tactic more because you would you'd, it would it would lend itself to setting up breakdowns because you were getting poor quality ball or poor pace ball or poor delivery. But ours is impeccable. Our scrum is, is top drawer. Our line out even f- functioned really well without toner and that was a, a worry on Saturday. But we still go and seek out contact in order to set up another play when there's multiple chances off scrum or line out to attack less defenders in a more, yeah, I suppose, risky way. Like there was a good few scrum occasions where, you know, I can understand it. We, se- we sent up Aki or Farrell to try and steamroll Finn Russell and, and, you know, welcome to the game, Finn Russell, see if he's up for the physical challenge. That's totally acceptable and normal. But we weren't, uh, we didn't move the ball enough off set piece in my mind, and we don't. And it's not like we can't do it. Like we sliced up England in, on Paddy's day to win the Grand Slam two, three times in that first half off set piece. So <clears throat> quite uh, maybe it's a confidence issue from the England game. But I'd love to see us just embrace a bit more risk off set piece. I think it would break the game up. We, I think we would get a lot of cheap yards. By you know, Carney got cut loose two or three times by uh, Carby playing slightly deeper in the second half. So I think um, that that willingness to attack off set piece in the wider channels a little bit more, I think, would would ultimately reduce our rook count and would make us probably a fresher team as well and it would mean there's slightly less work for the forwards to keep going to win those rooks. It's a a small complaint when we keep winning the way we're winning, but I I do think it would help transform our game into a bit more momentum, a bit more electric, a bit more cutting edge than we've been of late. So, to your mind, it would only require a tweak in other aspects of the game which would reduce the rock count as opposed to some yeah. kind of overhaul of Ireland's approach. Yeah, I I, I mean as as an example, if you're if you uh, if you've a midfield scrum on, on one of the extremities and more often than not you hit your centre straight up into the opposition centre. Like if if you that that's fine, but and you retain possession. But if you if you just really break it down, you look at there are eight guys 
hugging eight guys, literally. They're not allowed to break that bind, who are hugging another eight men. There's 16 men joined together with two scrum halves joined to that who can't break away. You're, you're now into 18 of your 30 players on the field are in a tiny five-yard space. You have a 70-metre pitch, you know, in, in a midfield setting, you have a 10, 12, 13, a blind wing, a fullback and a winger against three people in midfield. So you have seven, six on three. Why not give it a go around them, outside them, that kind of work in those in those situations and their back three is deep. They have to be, and if their back three isn't deep, we kick into the corner. It sounds simplistic. It is simplistic, but I mean, we have the ability to do it, the execution, but we don't, just don't do it often enough. Um, and I think we have, I think it would help. It's a tweak. It's not outlandish to think we could achieve it with relative ease. And I think it would just, it might lower our ruck count to like 110 or something normal like that. And I think it would freshen up our forward pack, you know. Like they, they did score to try the weekend off set piece, in yeah, fairness. Yeah. The, the Stockdale one was brilliant. Like we had a look, detailed look at that in the 42. If people want to have a look. It's an exceptional set piece strike. There was other mm. little bits where even just after Carberry comes on, they, he has a kind of shaky pass. His first pass to Farrell is kind of low. He stoops, yeah. he gathers it. But then they bounce back to the left and there's loads of detail in it, but they get some of that detail wrong. I think Peter Romani is a bit early with his running line. Mm. Therefore, it doesn't draw in the edge of the fence. It is very patterned, very prescribed from Ireland, but they'll be reflecting not on the philosophical questions that we do, but probably on sure. those little time, details. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're not going to change anything. This is the no, way it is. Yeah. They're going to keep having as much possession. These two games they've had over 23 minutes mm. again. They dominate possession. They're going to keep that in, true until the World Cup. I think they'll probably look at uh, the instances where their face play actually did, the carrying did create those glimpses of opportunity. Mm. Like the first try is a brilliant example of Ireland's attack. Mm. Carrying between the two 15-metre lines, until they get an overload. Mm. Uh, Jack Conan runs a brilliant decoy line. Earl's that first receiver. Sexton's in a three-on-two on the edge, a beautiful pass to Stockdale that draws up Russell. Then they chip behind, and, and Seymour's in a situation that we saw with Stockdale against England where mm. he messed up. It's so pressurised because Chris Farrell's right behind him putting on pressure, and people say, oh, Ireland got a bit lucky there, but I thought that was superb attack well, to create that. that we state. created the pressure, yeah. Exactly, and then there's other ones. There's 23rd minute, I think it was. Bundyaki's on the edge with something similar, a three-on-two. He has Carney, Earls outside him. Murray and, and Sexton have actually run up on the inside ahead of the ball. Mm. If he passes there, there's a really good opportunity for a try that will have everyone saying, wow, Ireland's attack mm. is superb. You think of Carney in the second half down the left-hand side. You mentioned Carberry being that second receiver, which is really interesting, actually, because mm. uh, you know for that, that Conor Murray try, mm. they use Sexton as the second receiver there as well. I think it's a pattern in their play now. But um, Aki and Carberry with a really good decoy line again from Chris Farrell, create the space for Carney. He has Stockdale potentially on his outside, tries to offload inside, but ball goes to deck. There's mm. another another big opportunity for their attack. And I think one or two of those little bits of detail, and obviously there's a general kind of, there was a couple of handling errors again yeah. that are characteristic. But well, would you change close. anything, like the, from what Gav was saying, is there anything you'd do to improve in the next three rounds? But do you think there's an area a fundamental area they can change or is there well, or you just think execution being yeah in terms of their the level attack, of execution yeah, I it's just I, if I was in that setup it would be that this individual decision making in those yeah. instances yeah. I think they've gone down this path too far to, to make a big change and yeah. look to offload more look to avoid the break time more yeah. and you'll probably be looking at their kicking like which, yeah well I fully agree on that actually yeah yeah, which has been an interesting one I wonder as a halfback obviously you're taking that as really interesting because they have kicked a lot but They've got no success, really. Ever. Yeah, I think it's a tactic. I would like it's that it's absolutely abandoned ship time with that tactic. It's 
Conor Murray looks like he's the weight of the world on his shoulders trying to um, emulate how, you know, his previous feats of, you know, nailing box kicks 40 metres high, landing in a five-yard channel. That was a great weapon for him until teams realised it's such a lethal weapon and do everything within their armoury to stop him and um, trying to spoil the ball at the base, trying to put pressure on his standing leg, trying to do all that. It Very simply, you know, you've two very, very accomplished punting out halves in Johnny and Joey on the squad. Can we not pass back to them and kick it 60 metres yeah. down the field and trust our defensive line to come up? Or can we, we've a brilliant left boot in Kearney, like throw a miss pass, bring their wingers up and kick it from the left foot into the corner behind them? There's, you know, a lot of teams like Russell and Farrell are using attacking kicks as well to break up rush defences. I just think we need to add variation in fast mm. because we're over-reliance on Murray there. I know you, you uh, just before you make your point, Murray, just to point out that this was a question actually put to us by Sean Troy. Um, will this be the year of the old school kick chase three-man backfield attack of decades past? And if it is, can we afford not to change? Are we in danger of being tactical dinosaurs come the World Cup? Which is kind of what you're alluding to there to a certain extent. Well, the, the interesting thing is that right, they've kicked 55 times, so they've kicked plenty. But as mm. you say, a lot of it's off Murray. A lot of it is off times where the face play doesn't work. And then they go, right, we have to bail out. Mm. It's not kicking on their terms. Yeah. For me, the best kick of the tournament from Ireland so far was Gary Ringrose, 20th minute against England. They play off a line out into a midfield uh, rook. And then on second phase, they have a bit of shape. There's a little tunnel ball between, I think, Stander and Toner. Um, and Aki feeds Ringrose. And he has he has numbers outside. It draws up those English backfield defenders. Daly mm. has to come up. And he slots that grubber in behind. You remember Johnny May kind of nutmegs himself trying to pick it up. Mm. Suddenly he has to turn. He's under massive pressure. Now they did get out and Ireland kind of botched the kick return, but it was a poor exit from England under pressure. I thought that was a superb kick and we just haven't really seen much of that. Mm. Obviously Ringrose being injured uh, for the second game reduced the, the possibility of that. But I think it is strange that they're not ver- uh, varying the kicker. Like Con- yeah, but- Conor Murray kicked 13 times against Scotland. Carberry kicked twice. And one of them was to kick the ball out at halftime, just pop it out over touchline. Yeah, so the other one was on was penalty advantage yeah. when they when they went to 22-13. Yeah. But you know, after they've kind of burnt themselves out and yeah, just yeah. kicks it away, he actually didn't kick once in play. It was yeah. absolutely bizarre because he can kick. Like I don't understand yeah. why Ireland aren't, aren't, aren't taking a bit of pressure off Conor Murray when it's clear that the box kicks aren't. Yeah, really and working. Connor's having a dip in form which happens you know he's been outstanding for about two or three years he's a he's come back from an injury with you know I know he's been on the field seven eight games fully he's definitely having a dip in form even as you know I would love to see Conor Murray given a take the responsibility off him tell him to get nippy with his passing again get low to the ground clear the ball away from the rook much faster than he's doing and allow someone else make a few decisions and Johnny should be doing that Joey should be doing that um, his, you know, his guys in Omani, guys like that are leaders on the field and they ought to recognise it. Like the guy doesn't look too happy at the moment. He's not playing great. Give him a break. Stop putting pressure on him when everyone else and the opposition is putting pressure on him as well. Just abandon the tactic for a couple of weeks because it's not like we don't have two or three easy fixes. There's no no philosophical or fundamental shifts required for Connor to pass to Johnny and Johnny to throw a screen pass behind her centres to Rob Carney who buries at 70 metres. 
Like that's so easy. Yeah. Those are, I guess those are things. I'm not too, too yeah. negative. Like it was an improved performance. Definitely yeah. from Ireland. Yeah. The defense I thought was much better. Yeah. They gave a bit more backfield support. They were at that kind of 13 and two defend, mm. two defenders in the backfield at times. So Rob Carney had less space to cover. A simple fix. Uh, obviously that allows the opposition to maybe skirt you on the edge a couple of times, which you saw, but they covered those kicks in behind really well. So that was an improvement. I think that attack is close. Like they had eight line breaks against, yeah. against the Scots after five against England. They're still creating glimpses of opportunity mm. maybe not completely clear cut and they did score three tries and great to see Carberry bring something different to the attack as well the mm. two times he looked most comfortable in the game uh, obviously one for his try when the ball bounces in behind him he has to go and recover and react and the other one was um, Aki was at first receiver on the left hand side of a mid- midfield rook he was calling for the ball they actually had numbers on that side but Murray passed right to Carberry who then breaks out of the structure he realises okay too many defenders this side it's just a simple thing. He cuts mm. underneath the rock and hits Aki, but it's lovely that Ireland have that option of a guy who is even more comfortable when he's outside the structure. Mm. It allows him to play a different way. And I think if you're looking at a World Cup, particularly with your bench option, that's just a brilliant mm. thing to have and mm. um, have something different in your army. But look, it was it was improved, but I think there's loads there and it's going to be fascinating to see how particularly the kicking game uh, comes together for the next few games. Yeah, we have a load more to talk about. Um, but before we move on from Ireland, we like so many questions literally dozens of questions this weekend they're all of their usual excellent standard there's one here uh, just on the uh, topic that you're talking about would you start Carberry for the rest of the six nations sexton wouldn't like it but given we're not going to win the six nations anyway surely exposure for Carberry at 10 is vital that's from adam uh, sorry adam mckeonan hmm. uh i wouldn't start him for every game no i think this italy game next up is a good mm. chance for him again um Obviously, Johnny Sexton, you're never, never going to, he's never going to get uh, particularly happy when he's not starting every game. But I don't think you can just throw the whole tournament that way either. Like, you know, that last game against Wales in particular is really important. And you only have a certain amount of games until the World exactly, Cup. So yeah, yeah. you do need your big guys playing together and getting yeah. some cohesive uh, momentum together as well. But yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for um, your starting team and the cohesion between units, familiarity in that. The confidence that a team gets from winning. Um, similarly, if you look at how contracted we became and nervous looking in last Saturday, on the back of a year that we won a Grand Slam, won a tour in Australia, um, beat the All Blacks, arguably our greatest ever uh, Irish rugby season, <clears throat> two months later to get this hiding from England and see how it rocked the confidence of a nation and how contracted we became. And, and we did look tentative and nervous and very understandably so because it's a real... That Scotland game then is suddenly the most thankless fixture. It, you know, you've, you've, everybody got shook from, from the manner of the defeat against England. If we, if we look at... Um, I'm already dreading these uh, summer... Warm up games, they're they're horrendous. I injured, they're, they're horrendous injury fest. Every year, someone crucial gets a broken leg. Every World Cup cycle, but um, if we look at that and say, right, he's going to probably he's going to jiggle things around a bit in those games. That means he's got it. He's got three games left to the World Cup of meaning, and I don't think then if he's not planning on starting Joey for for regularly in the World Cup, he needs to give Sexton. Um, France and Wales, you know, I think Johnny or I think yeah. Joey will start Italy, but I wouldn't I wouldn't I don't think he's gonna he's not he's not the he's not his style. He's not gonna meddle with starters, but I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to to 
to um, go with what that uh, listener is suggesting. The, the Italy game just seems like the perfect opportunity. Perfect As you say, game, yeah. France and Wales, nice back-to-back, yeah. World Cup vibe to it. And it's also, Joey's had Australia uh, the first test, yeah. so and then he's had, uh, he's had, did he have one start in autumn? He can't remember now. Um, I can't even think now. <laughs> yeah, well then, but he certainly he's had the Australia start. He's had 65 now against Scotland and he's probably going to do the full Italy game. So that's plenty of exposure at international yeah. level. We've got Chicago, obviously. Yeah, and that's yeah. about 50-50 in terms of starting 10 in the last seven games. So that's fine, you know. There's definitely scope for other changes there, though. I mean, yeah, I would have even in the back line, just having a flick around, even Will Addison, we haven't seen him featured yes, yet. Yes, yeah. I think it'll be good to see Chris Farrell get another run. Conway, potentially. I mean, they're playing for Munster, obviously, on Friday, mm. but... Mm. It's not a big ask to play the Kings and then back it up a week later. Dave Cookmoyne mm. was excellent off the bench, I thought. He had the best carry yeah. of the game. Yeah. That one in the 22. Impact. Yeah. And it was just so simple. Like, yeah. it was, he used his footwork before contact, got to the inside of Strauss, fights through a tackle from Alan Dell, and then a lovely ball placement for the finish. Yeah. Really good bit of skill and, and definitely kind of a standard setter, I think, for the Irish forwards because a couple of guys picked it up from there. Someone like him will definitely relish an opportunity. Ty Byrne, if he's fit. Yeah. Um, I, I, you, you talk about cohesion. I'd love to see that back row get another go again. Yeah. Manny O'Brien and Conan. I thought they were really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, O'Brien was not quite at his best, but really good competition on the ball without the reward at times. Mm. I mean, as I said, I thought Conan was really good. And yeah. hopefully that you would hope that he can put real pressure on CJ Sander consistently now. Mm. Um, obviously, CJ Sander is a, one of the first names on the team sheet for Joe Schmidt and has been for, for a couple of years. But Conan's an excellent player and he has a bit of handling ability as well so mm-hmm. um, I think Italy is prime opportunity to, to to get a bit of depth yeah the knives are still out to a certain extent and even the way you were speaking about it it's very much a dissection of a victory as opposed to uh, mm. a celebration let's say but a question here from Tony down under uh, who has literally just gotten in contact while we were recording he asks is Rory Best fading fast from international level and maintaining his position based on captaincy hmm, I think he's been pretty good actually in these two games Um I think his energy as well for Ulster in recent times has been absolutely superb. Um, he's always one of the top rock players. He arrives mm. to so many rocks. That's basically his job. He's not a ball carrier. He's no mm. impact at all, really, in the carry. Uh, he's essentially a kind of set-piece uh, and rock operator. I think he's been pretty good in both those departments. Um, I think his captaincy side is pretty good as well. He, he tends good not referees. to piss referees off, which, yeah. is, mm. he's, which is an attribute. <laughs> Damn right, yeah. He seems to have them in his back pocket, actually. Yeah. He's very, very good like that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, yeah, he's he's an old player and ideally the World Cup would have come a year sooner for him. Um, again, this Italy game is a good chance for one of those hookers just behind him to get an opportunity. I'd love to see Sean Cronin get a start. Yeah. I don't fully buy into the theory, although clearly Joe Schmidt does think he's an impact sub and he's an excellent yeah. impact sub, but yeah. I, I'd like to see him get a start and show that he can do that job as well. I think R- Rory, um, the f- there was a 20-minute period in the All Blacks game in November. Uh, unfortunately, he was he was definitely the worst player on the field for about 15 to 20 minutes. He had a little bit of set piece go wrong. He got caught in, he got caught in the open spaces in attack, almost where he didn't want to be. A bit of rabbit in the headlights. He he knocked on. He failed with an offload, and they were they were quite notable in the intensity and and level of that game. He he looked a bit. Uh, he suddenly looked a bit out of his depth. Dare I say? But as you said, Murray, he is he's a set piece technician. He's a brilliant uh, exponent on the rook. 
and that's how we play. We have a brilliant set piece and we're rock heavy. So obviously you add that into his leadership skills, um, his management of a referee, which is hugely important, and uh, the pros outweigh the cons. But I think as as time develops, surely, uh, you know, age, timing, the World Cup being over, potentially, you know, World Cup will be over after November, maybe a retirement on the cards. I would have thought Cronin would certainly, sh- I don't know how old Sean is. He must be about 30, is he? Yeah, he would be, yeah. So he's not like, a spring chicken either, but... Um, not a spring chicken, usually sprung from the bench, obviously. Yeah. The, the he doesn't have much mileage so, on the clock. No, uh, yeah, yeah. and yet... 32. You know, as 32. A star- 32. Yeah, 32, no spring chicken, exactly. Uh, and yet as a starter for Leinster, one of the top marksmen in Europe. So mm. clearly the idea that he is only an impact sub mm. is not true. Um, and I think maybe that factors into Tony's question there as well, that when you've got a guy like Cronin in such unbelievable form mm. in that aspect of his game, is best only retaining his place because he's a captain. Uh, one more question on this game before we move on. It comes from Dr. Malcolm Harvey, who is fittingly a lecturer in politics and international relations at Aberdeen University. Oh, wow. Um, he says... What's your favourite colour? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Harvey says, if Peter Romani had been Johnny Gray and had taken out Ireland's flying full back, how long do you think Joe Schmidt would have gone on about it? He goes on to say uh, that he's trying to goad some Irish journos into discussing the deliberate, cynical, illegal actions of a certain Irish forward in injuring our best hope of rolling over the boys in green last week. But sure, Sexton got hurt too, so I'm sure they think it's even. I'm actually going to take this one, lads, if you don't mind. Uh, Dr. Harvey, shut up! No, I'm only joking. Um, what did you make of the challenge? Uh I think, to be fair, a lot of Irish pundits would have made the point that, oh, it wasn't intentional, there's nothing in it, move on. I think you could give a penalty for that. Yeah. I, I don't. I think Peter Romani kind of knows what he's doing in that situation. Yeah. Oh, he absolutely knows what he's doing. He, he holds his ground, but he drops his, um, he drops his left arm, I think, into the, into the contact, uh, and he knows what he's doing. But then so did the Scotland players. They knew what they were doing when they hit Johnny Sexton borderline. Yeah. A couple of them, maybe. I actually thought all the ones on Sexton were okay. I thought the Peter Romani one was play on as well, like, yeah, people are cynical and dirty. I actually thought the bigger one from Manny that he definitely should have been yellow carded was killing the ball when Blair Kinghorn beats Sexton. I think it was mm. 18, 19 yeah. minutes in just before that tap penalty. Kinghorn beats Sexton who's clearly kind of out of sorts. Um, and Omani goes straight off his feet. Mm. Like such a deliberate killing of the ball when they have brilliant platform. Um, and Pot doesn't even speak to him. Scotland don't even appeal, which is absolutely bizarre. Any captain should be straight in his face there. That he's killed the ball. Macaw-esque, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I thought it was yeah. really cynical. I was surprised there wasn't more made of it, but I think the other one was, I don't know, would have been a hard well, Yeah, because well, I think it was a peno, but I looked, is this with Hogg? Are we talking yeah. about Yeah, yeah so like, yeah. when he, he kind of hurt his shoulder when he hit the floor. As well. I mean, he did that a hundred times in a game. That's mm. a bit of bad luck for Hogg as well. It wasn't the impact from O'Mahony that caused him the injury. Yeah, I think to be so, fair, you know, as part of a... a Twitter thread in which uh, yeah. Dr. Harvey was involved. He did that, make that point later on in the conversation. We kind yeah. of weren't involved. It was two Scots giving out about us, basically, oh, yeah. in Murray's mentions. Pen- <laughs> let's say penalty. Yeah, let's go with penalty. Suzanne Kyo asks on Facebook, um, who have been the standout under 20s for you? Any uh, you see as being future senior stars? For me, Harry Byrne is looking like a class act. Uh, with the flair of a Carberry, but the game management and head of a Sexton. So no pressure on young Harry Burr. <laughs> Jeez, <yeah. laughs> but they're, listen, they're looking good. They're looking very good. They're on for a Grand Slam. Yeah, we were over there in Galashiels on Friday night and they were impressive again, I thought. Interestingly enough, um, 
I was impressed with the performance and then went in afterwards to have a chat with a couple of them and they were not happy at all with the performance. They they thought they left a lot out in the pitch, should have got the bonus point. They really have high expectations of themselves, which is fantastic, really. There have been loads of impressive guys. Yeah, Harry Burns has been good and really calm. Himself and David Hawkshaw, the captain, are really calm influence at 10-12. Liam Turner was man of the match last day against Scotland. The outside centre, come through Black Rock College, um, was talking to him after the game and he was in first year when Gary Ringrose was in sixth year winning oh a cup, which oh really no. <laughs> was really depressing. <laughs> oh it's getting worse and worse. Yeah. yeah, but he was excellent. His defensive reading is superb. Um, they just brought him into the leadership group and his communication chat off the ball was just unbelievable, actually. He was so accurate and it was quite a small crowd so you could hear every little detail. It was really insightful into his understanding of the game. The front row was really good again. Dylan uh, Tierney-Martin, the, the hooker, was excellent against England, obviously. And he was brilliant again. He's... A converted back row only relatively recently, so he's really comfortable on the ball. He can handle and pass, but he's got a really aggressive streak as well. Um, Josh Witcherly and Thomas Clarkson, the two props. And Clarkson's only, uh, he's actually got another year at this level. Mm. They absolutely smashed tackles. Um, yeah, there's impressive performance all over the place. John Hodden was good again in the back row. And Scott Penny, who's played senior rugby for Leinster, obviously is a freak really at that level physically. Um, loads of exciting players there. Jonathan Wren, the Munster wing who had very few involvements, but like really pivotal involvements. He prevented two tries really with excellent defence, scored with the last uh, kind of attack of the game, a really good uh, individual finish after some good handling. So there's loads in it and um, there's loads of belief in the group, um, loads of strong leaders as well. So really exciting for them. The French game will be particularly t- difficult because they've lots of experience in that team, but it's very exciting. Brendan Fanning, um, I was chatting to in the airport who coached Hawkshaw in um, in Belvedere College, I think, and also in Antarf yeah. at underage level, was very keen to point out, <clears throat> apart from, say, skill level and execution, and these guys are well-versed in all of this, but he, the, the mental toughness and leadership that Hawkshaw brings to that group, he said he hasn't really seen many guys at that age who have that presence um, as a leader. And that's a that's a vital thing. At a young age in a group, I mean, when I, I played 21s, Paul O'Connell was our captain and you could see at that stage, like he got a, I remember he got a standing ovation coming off the field in Tolman Park, Wales were going for their second Grand Slam in a row at under 21s and, you know, it wasn't far off the Welsh players clapping him off the field, but it was it was as much about his contribution around the field as his presence and his leadership, which can be hard to define. But at a young age, in a young group, when everyone's kind of mile a minute for a captain who can maybe put his foot on the on the pedal and say, hold up, what are we doing strategically? Um, if, if things go damp and quiet, can he G up the troops again? And all those things around leadership that are probably rare at 19, 20 years old, fellas tend to develop into it. But apparently, uh, Hawkshaw's a real natural in this yeah. field. So um, That's interesting because I, yeah. I was talking to Bren <clears throat> Fanning over in Murrayfield about it. Uh, the, the day after mm. the game and he was saying the exact same thing because Hawkshaw if people remember got a really bad injury against England it looked like God this guy could be gone for a couple of months and they were worried about that but he basically insisted on playing the next game this yeah. is I'm part of this team I'm not letting these guys down yeah. uh, and I don't know what condition his knee was in but he battled through it so yeah, yeah really good on. resilience and they have Craig Casey to come back the scrum half from injury Ryan Bard, uh, Baird still hasn't featured this St. Michael's former second row who's supposed to be a really superb player um, and certainly was great in school when we saw him so yeah there's going to be a bit more strength in the, in the squad and 
they get to train against the Ireland senior squad obviously on Friday which is always a big deal and usually mm. fancy enough so looking forward to that from from what I gather I think Harry Byrne would also agree with uh, that few that listener sentiments is that right yeah <laughs> Harry himself would agree uh, no, it's, it's not a it's not a bad trade no, confidence, confidence, confidence will stand to him I think over time um, going back to Suzanne's question then it sounds like you know we, we couldn't really rule out any of these players in terms of making it as at senior level not that we would anyway on the podcast what a horrendous thing that would be to do but <laughs> say if I was to pressure you into, into maybe selecting five or four alongside Hawkshaw let's say are there standout operators to you? Um, Dylan Tierney Martin Martin's been excellent at hooker um, Liam Turner as I said at outside centre actually a guy I didn't mention was Martin Maloney the blind side who uh, someone on my Twitter described to me as a red haired Peter O'Mahony which was actually a pretty decent description because he's not scary he's not a glamorous player he doesn't make the big line breaks or, or the massive hits but he racks up an incredible work rate and again one of those guys when you watch the game back you notice just how influential he was. Really good in contact, really reliable, no mistakes. He's come through a tie. Um, I think he's playing with Old Belvedere now and yeah, he's been impressed as well. So there's certainly a number of guys there who are going to make it through to, to the top level. Yeah, exciting times at under 20s. Uh, the women bounced back from a fairly hefty defeat at the hands of England, um, kind of steadying the ship a little bit and maybe based on what we saw of the England women against France as well, it kind of puts that defeat to England into context a little bit more. Um, what were your impressions of them, Murray, in, in terms of um, how they did rectify things? You obviously did a bit of analysis on the site as well um, around their performance. Yeah, I thought it was improved. The conditions were really difficult in Glasgow. Uh, rain and a lot of wind. The set piece was particularly impressive. The line out um, was 100%. Leah Lyons' throwing was excellent. And Aoife McDermott, real sensible calling, like nothing too complicated, just a little bit of movement, get up, get back down with the ball. And the scrum again was incredibly dominant. Like against the head, drove the Scots completely off their own ball. Mike Ross is obviously doing really good work as scrum coach there. Um, and they're getting a really cohesive kind of unit there. You know, everyone's buying into it. The flankers are all scrummaging hard. Everyone's clearly loving that aspect of the game. They had a lot of possession, like over 24 minutes in this. And it was quite direct because of the slippery ball, but... Like the little technical details, like the tip on passes, the latching, um, the rock clear outs were all really excellent, which is really positive to see. Um, once the conditions dry up, I think they'll be excited to bring the technical details on their maybe passing game and a bit of their width and their shape and attack. Um, look, we did say last week there's probably almost two tiers in this Six Nations and certainly that game would kind of back up that that impression. The English were so impressive against France. Yeah, there's only one, like, there are two tiers, but in one yeah, of them, it's only like, England. It's like three tiers now, is there? Uh, England were so impressive. They're streets ahead, it seems. Um, but it was certainly improved from Ireland. There was a lot more to be positive out there. Um, and I think when, when they get to that French game, they'll hope to be a lot, a lot more competitive. We touched upon it a small bit last week, but there's a question here from Ross Doyle on Instagram. And he asks, why has there been such a decline in women's rugby since the 2014 Rugby World Cup? I'm not sure if he means the game globally or just in Ireland. Maybe understandable if he means Ireland, given how good they were in that World Cup. Um, do you see it as having gone backwards here or is it just that it's remained in and around the same level and other countries have pulled away? Um... I mean, if we're looking at Irish, yeah, I think it has. I think I think there are signs now that it's growing again. The RFU have, well, they're talking a good game about 
putting a lot more resource into getting numbers into the game, coaches, players, administrators, uh, female board members as well, which is f- fantastic if they can actually follow through on some pretty lofty uh, ambitions. But it's it's fair to say that after that 2014 World Cup, things did kind of decline. There was obviously a, a title in there, um, but the loss of kind of those key players like your mm-hmm. Lynn Cantwell and Fiona Coughlin was really damaging and there probably haven't been players of that quality uh, unearthed or developed to to maturity yet. Um, like we spoke about last week, there's still some players who are maybe struggling with the game understanding and decision-making at times. Um, you know yourself, Andy, you have to play the game for a long time yeah. or be immersed in it for a long time to, to really make those good decisions but on the ball. The loss of, like you said, the likes of Fiona Coughlin and, and Lynn Cantwell, like when we lost O'Driscoll and O'Connell, when was it, 14 or 15, you know, people were talking about the end of the golden generation. The only, the professional game for the for the men's sides has been, you know, building up for 15, 20 years in terms of how we develop younger players and grassroots players. So all of a sudden we, we had another generation coming through and now we've been a second and third generation behind them. I don't think the depth is there because the groundwork hasn't been there in the women's game, it just hasn't been there. It, it will come. Um, but I think those, the, you're talking golden generation type players. Those those two, Nora Stapleton. There was there were key players in that group who've who've gone and moved on and retired, that they haven't quite replaced just yet in terms of sheer ability. And I think that has affected them too. But I, I you know I think in time, uh, the numbers you know attending amateur clubs the you know I think all Belvo my club have three teams so like there's a lot going on and I think naturally the cream will rise to the top the better players will come through and they'll come through relatively quickly and I think we'll have a, a stronger squad in a couple of seasons again but it's it's a bit cyclical I think at the moment until we get more depth and, and more quality and prep work done over the next few years yeah and that's where it has to come from <coughs> they did win the they won the 2015 championship wasn't it mm. after after the world cup but the, the Tom Tierney reign was really a disaster. That nah, was a debacle, the home, yeah. The Home World Cup was, was really shambolic and that's set things back, I guess, in the public's eyes. For the people who don't watch a lot of women's rugby, who maybe only tune in once or twice a year, that was a, a real setback to possibly lose some of that audience. But they're getting crowds back. There was a really good crowd in, in Donnybrook last day. Um, and there are emerging young players um, and there's experience being built, even if they're not going to challenge England potentially for a couple of years. Um so we would hope that that can push on. And as Andy says, it has to come from the grassroots. It has to be that growth. Um, and it may take a while, but that's the way to do it. That was the most striking thing, I think, about watching England and in particular, uh, Emily Scarrett. Like Some what skills. a natural player she is. It's like everything she does seems to be almost instinctive, like just just second nature in the way she controls the ball, the way she lo- finds space. Her kicking game is excellent. Probably even more so than the rest of the England team. Like it's, it was a joy to watch her. And you would presume that this is a person who's been throwing a rugby ball around even to herself for a long, long time, as opposed to somebody who picked it up maybe in her late teens or even early 20s. Yeah, that the spiral kick, uh, I think it was in the first half, down the left-hand side. Oh, my God. The kick of the well, I've always wanted to have a campaign to bring back the spiral. Oh, it's back. I think because it's, it's just back. so beautiful to watch and no, one, no one's using it. Scarred is leading it's the like, charge. Yeah, yeah. It's I incredible. think Raj was the last one in, in the men's game who used it regularly. This Great is a, to see it, though. It's a, this is actually a, a chat I was having with somebody recently as to when it kind of died out. And I remember, this is a completely tangential kind of rant, but I remember yeah. the 2005 Lions tour Stephen Jones and Johnny Wilkinson, when they were kicking for touch, 
they started doing like front over bottom, it was, you know. It, was, it, di- it started to die out when uh, Dave Allred came on the scene, who's the uh, self-appointed kicking guru, all things kicking related, coaches Sexton, coached Wilkinson. Um, he's a he's a guy who likes to uh, he's he's the David Ledbetter. I will deconstruct you in every way and rebuild you in my shape and form. And if you don't comply, I'll leave you on this on the scrap heap. He's he, he's a tough guy uh, in my view to work with because he doesn't embrace anything about um, you know someone's natural anatomy or by you know guy with short legs, a guy with long legs. They've all to kick his way, and you do it his way or you don't. And a lot of it is is. Um, to me, it's. I'm not quite sure. Does it all add up? He talks about, you know, your follow through must be your whole body must go in the direction of where the kick goes. Now, if you look at an NFL kicker, place kicking a place ball fifty meters in the snow, and he doesn't even have the ball in front of him when he starts his run up, you watch where his follow through goes, and it ain't in the direction of the posts. He's done a full swivel or pirouette. Um, the Argentinians, Nicolas Sanchez, Todeschini, they've been the best kickers. None of them do it either. So I think uh, Allred kind of exists in this joy vacuum that, you know, you take, take any joy out of kicking, learn how to do it as an automaton robot and follow everything I do. And when you do that, you eliminate risk because there's risk in the spiral because you get it wrong. So those guys started to uh, live by his creed. They kicked, as he said, they eliminated the spiral, but they were damn good at it. It. And you look at the likes of Stephen Jones and Wilkinson, their kicking percentages going up. But if you look at videos of 10 years before Allred came on the scene and a guy taking a penalty to touch, yeah. he kicks it 50 metres and he curls it into a corner. What we all do now is you see a guy, you know, he, he stands, he looks at the touch line, he looks up at the posts. It's, Front over end. You know, torturous. He kicks it 25 metres and it goes halfway into the stand. And everyone goes, oh, giant. that's become accepted now. A full-time professional kicker should be kicking 40, 50 metre touch kicks off a penalty. Way more than they are. But everyone just accepts, well, start the playoff again, kick it 20 metres, make sure we hold possession. So, yeah, I don't, you can tell by my tongue. <laughs> bring I'm it not, back. Is I'm this a rant? As, I think it is an absolutely is a rant. I, I'm loving it. I'm, I'm delighted. Yeah. I got to bring it up. I'm loving it, yeah. We, we, I don't know if we mentioned last week, but I remember Rog, Ron O'Gara saying to me, that he would wake up sometimes at night wondering why people didn't spiral the ball anymore. I love <laughs> he felt that. so passionate about it. I'm so with him as well. Yeah. Like it's it, got to be, it's a brilliant weapon. It's potentially brilliant one weapon. of the reasons some guys don't do as well is because, I don't know. Good, good on Emily Scarrett. <laughs> yeah. Bring it back. yeah. She's bringing it back. People probably want to keep the ball in play a bit more if it's an open mm. play. So you see a less yeah. end. But the yeah. line kick certainly, there's a lot of conservative line kicking. Yeah. And I totally agree with you that, like again, we've discussed it before, like kicking skills aren't, quite pushed as much as they should, yeah. should be we're probably seeing it more now because yeah. especially with defences being so full exactly, of defenders yeah. the kicking game is as we've discussed even mm. getting ring rows on the ball and building his grubber it's so important so um, let's see some more grubbers please. I mean more uh, spoilers I think please. there's a spoiler and grubbers and, grubbers and like uh, Mick, Mick Byrne who's now with the Wallabies was the All Black Skills coach for the last two World Cups like he he worked with guys like Andrew Johns in the NRL and to to do a session with Mick Byrne, like for a start, is one of the most joyful things you could ever do. But he he teaches you how to curl grubber kicks either way. He teaches you things like how to kick a dead duck, kick a ball 
50 metres into the air that doesn't rotate as he says it, it moves around like a stale loaf of bread fullback can't catch it on the way down he can do spiral bombs he's a 6 foot 7 former Aussie rules rugby player who's just got this magical control of, a, of an oval ball and uh, you know he's introduced that into into All Blacks setups. he's introduced it into, into the AFL the NRL you know there's a huge amount we can learn from that and develop into our kicking game and we talked about how stagnant we are in the Conor Murray uh, situation tactically and in terms of execution there's so much we can add into our attack just through the evolving skill levels in kicking that, and by bringing back the spiral god damn it alright bring back the spiral and let's start kicking dead ducks as well because that sounds <laughs> very funny um, it actually leads us nicely into England who kicked the leather off the ball but so astutely and so successfully in what was a resounding victory over France. Are they changing the game a little bit or is it just that in their opening two fixtures they've identified that Ireland would be susceptible to that type of game and then you have Johan Uge at 15 for France who might as well have gone for chips, frankly, uh, the way he played. <laughs> like, How much can we read into what they're doing at the moment? Well, it's been going this way for a while, to be fair. Um, they've built in Henry Slade's kicking game and Elliot Daly's kicking game uh, quite a bit in the last over over a year probably now having those different kickers along the back line as well as Youngs and Farrell who are superb in this department it's interesting I, I think they're just almost on the crest of this wave how they're kicking it's not just in phase play um, they're kicking off turnovers they're kicking off line breaks even you, you think of Farrell when he break, makes that break right at the end for his own try you know you're always coached keep the ball in those situations don't throw 50s he's actually putting the pressure back on France even in that situation they're kicking off retrieved kicks mm. so if you think of the one where there was no one in the backfield that hilarious example where Young's grubbers are through for, for Ashton that comes from a contestable kick they've won where obviously the backfield is not going to be organised because they've had to come forward and contest that kick and it doesn't help that Uge doesn't realise he's supposed to cover across into that space so yeah there were certainly the incredibly poor um, backfield defence from France they didn't seem to understand what their roles were which was just damning of the coaches and actually them probably as players on an individual basis but there's also England's intelligence they're kicking off set piece you know Elliot Daly if you think before their second try I think it was that chipped down the left uh, Penno has to turn and go back and they uh, they're forced to kick into touch and giving them a really good platform so there's loads of variety and loads of really fresh thinking there and it's just constantly keeping pressure on the opposition and with the skill level being there, it's mm. a relatively easy way to do it. So good on them. Really clever. What do you make of it, Andy? Rugby football? I think, um, like we've short enough memories sometimes in, in rugby that I think it's they're not changing the game. They're just revisiting something that was done very well 15 years ago. And it's like hitting, you know, the computer kind of stalls and you hit the refresh button, you know, things kind of moving again. They're definitely... Uh, using the kick as a in a constructive way, they're setting up a play with a view to kicking in the next play. So, so they're 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 trying to maneuver defenders back three guys in in the backfield like puppets on a string. They're trying to set up a position where a guy from deep has to come forward and with with full intention on the next phase to kick into that space they've created. That again, we've mentioned him plenty. That that was Raj to a T. That's what he that's how he controlled games, um, orchestrated wins for Munster on a regular basis, away from home, you know, European games, managing territory, squeezing the life out of teams through um 
I suppose, kicking into space, putting their back three under huge pressure. So it's not changing the game. It's not It's not evolved or new. It's revisiting a skill that's been used before. And, and uh, But I think it's really, it's quite brave because the... If, I suppose if you look at our, we seem unwilling to concede possession because we feel it will make us lose control. They're happy to give away possession in a, in a bid to create more pressure and exert more pressure, which can be like so kicking the ball away is counterintuitive to create more pressure. But if you do it well, it really can be a difficult thing to defend. So I applaud them on that. It's a brave thing to do. Most teams haven't done it in recent years, though. So. On the flip side, oh, sorry, Mary, go on. Yeah, they're getting a really good platform to do it as well. Yeah. Like, um, unfortunately, Makovunapola's been ruled out now that yeah. the rest of the championship really unfortunate because he's been unbelievably important and so good to watch, even more important than Billy Vunapola. But mm. he is back and George Cruz is playing some of his best rugby because Sinker has been excellent. To Laggy, obviously, his ball carrying has added a lot. So they're getting a really good platform for it. Um, and that confidence they're playing with is just actually really enjoyable to watch even though you, a lot of people won't want England to do well and seem to enjoy kind of throwing jibes at Eddie Jones and saying oh you're boring you're kicking a lot but I don't find it far, they've been far from boring I think yeah. in the first Riveting two games that, yeah. yeah I think they've been exceptional yeah on the flip side of that what are we going to do with France <laughs> will we well, boot them out Sacre bleu. Oh my God. Hit the it, refresher I, button yeah I find it sad to be honest it is yeah it's it is consistent now like the last time they were in the top two was 2011. That was their last top two finish. It's really sad to see. Um, the coaching obviously isn't good enough. Like There was no plan. There was no mm. reaction to deal with what was clearly happening. All of us could see what was happening to them and they need to make adjustments. Even when uh, Roman Entomac comes off the bench, it didn't seem to be the case that he knew where he was coming on. Mm. The backs have to have this big chat. He runs into a few different positions um, and it's just incredible. And the stuff that's come out in the French media has made it even more laughable, really. You know, unnamed players talking about, we had no plan, we're trying to talk to the bench to get one onto the pitch, nothing came back. Um, Morgan Parra criticised the training, a couple of other players have had a go and clearly it's falling apart yet again. Um, so yeah, what are we going to do? I don't know. So, someone said to me, that maybe they should be relegated. We talked about Italy being relegated, but um, I think that was a joking suggestion. But it is it is really sad. It is really depressing um, that... A, a country with such an amazing rugby history and such a depth of players uh, can't be competitive. Um, I think there's loads of different reasons, but from speaking to some of the coaches who've been over in France in the last few years, like the academy coaching just isn't at the same level as elsewhere. The players aren't pushed as hard. They come through with maybe lazy habits um, while being incredible athletes. Like mm. Their team athletically is sensational um, and individually because there's so many to pick from, they still are always going to have good players, but um, there's m- major problems across the board, really. But like, it sounds as though, even when you are at senior level in France, you're, if you have lazy habits, they're not going to be um, beaten out of you, so to speak. Like, what, from what we've heard of, let's say, Donica Ryan alluded to it in the past, I think it was maybe on second captains, Simon Zebo said it to us in our live event a few weeks ago, that you are kind of left to your own devices to an extent. And I'm not, like, is that really top-level, elite-level sport, the way rugby has moved in England and Wales and Ireland? Like, it, it, it doesn't seem to add up that you would expect to perform at the same level as these other countries. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It really doesn't add up. And particularly with the amount of money that's in the game over there, um, in the clubs, like, they should be more professional than anyone, really. It is a different culture, obviously. Like, we shouldn't, mm. we shouldn't expect French people and 
in any walk of life, not just rugby, just to be the same as us because it's, they are they are different um, culturally and there are different expectations and different priorities, I guess, about enjoying life and, and stuff like that. Uh, but if your approach to rugby is leaving you that far behind that you're getting absolutely hammered in a Six Nations game and that you have no plan, no plan. Like French people probably laugh at us sometimes for being so planned and structured. Mm. Oh my God, why do you have to have structure in every phase of play? But if you don't have a plan with your selection, like they just constantly make changes, wholesale changes, mm. four or five. Oh, Bastro's gone. Let's bring him back in. We lost the game. Maybe he can change it. That doesn't make sense because you're never going to get the cohesion, We, I guess we mm. talked about, and that momentum into your team. Um, if you don't have a plan for what you're actually going to do in the pitch either, it's pretty difficult. Yes, there can be moments of individual brilliance, but you need some sort of shape on that to get the best out of players. So I'm finding it very frustrating to watch. Yeah, I suppose the one thing we can do is banish the old cliche about not knowing which French team is going to show up because, unfortunately, these days we actually do know. Um, on a very sombre note, let's talk about the Pro 14 very quickly. <laughs> How quickly? <laughs> um yeah, well, like we usually do predictions, but let's not uh, this weekend. There are too many kind of variables and, you know, second string, third string teams even. Um, Munster against the Kings on Friday. Obviously interesting to see how a few of the lads that are involved uh, in Joe Schmidt's setup get on there. And, you know, it's not unlikely either that a few of them can play their way into the 15 in Rome, um, given that it is Italy. Yeah, particularly Andrew Conway and Chris Farrell in the backs. Really interesting to follow them. Um, and it's also interesting that Tyler Blaindog gets his first start of the season at out half. You mentioned a couple of months ago, probably at this stage, that he's definitely not one they're turning their back on yet. No. Um, and he's captaining this team. Um, Chris Clute's back in the back row finally um, after being injured in December against Lenz, uh, Leinster in that, in that uh, Interpro game. So there's loads of reason to, to watch this game. It's actually a really strong Munster team. Um, and then you've got a bit of excitement with someone like Gavin Coombs involved off the bench and Finian Witcherly starting as well. So yeah, loads of reasons to tune in. Tasty. Ospreys against Ulster also on the Friday night. Ian Henderson's back. Wow, what a recovery. Yeah, that's fairly miraculous. Yeah, Incredible, that's, yeah. That's they were talking sharp, about the last yeah. couple of rounds of the Six Nations. Yeah, okay. Um, but he's back and starts. And John Cooney gets a start as well. So there is that international element. Interesting that Will Addison's not there. So I don't know if that's a him. Similarly with Dave Kilcoyne with Munster. Interesting, yeah. I would have thought that means Addison's probably odds on for It means he'll be training with Ireland yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah um, on Friday. Um but yeah, Henderson's recovery time was incredible again. <laughs> he, he did this with the with the first injury, now he's done it again with his with his uh, thumb. So yeah, good on him for getting back so quick. Leinster travelling to Zebra. Yeah, I mean, you'd expect a really strong away win there. Again, with a bit of um, Ireland international flavour, probably mixing guys who haven't had game time and the usual uh, academy and, and kind of homegrown element as well. Um, you'd expect him to get a good strong win. Mm. And Connacht host uh, Cheetahs, that's also on the Saturday alongside Leinster and Zebra. Important game, isn't it? It's a big one. Important. Um, I actually undersold these fixtures a little bit in advance yeah. of them. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Not to Come me, down after the Six Nations. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's not going to go watch it. I certainly won't. Um, yeah, Connacht will have, again, someone like Jack Hardy, who's been around the Ireland camp for the last few weeks and will want to put what he's learned into action and get that feedback from Joe Schmidt and, and bring that into his game. So that's exciting. Obviously, Kieran Marmion, again, another one come back from injury. Uh, so he'd hope to feature in that Italy game as well and, and want to make a, a good impression. So, yeah, I mean, from an Ireland point of view, even beyond just the provinces themselves, there's loads of reason to watch and hopefully a couple of young guys standing out as well. Super. Um, 
just to thank everybody for all the questions and really sorry we didn't get around to all of them. There were, as I mentioned earlier, literally dozens. Uh, Murray and I are strongly considering do, doing some kind of a mailbag special in a couple of weeks' time, maybe in uh, the next off week during the Six Nations. Hopefully you can join us as well, Andy, and give your to, yeah. contribution. Uh, thanks, gents, for joining us. Cheers, Cheers. Uh, just a reminder that the 42 Rugby Weekly is brought to you by Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Book winner this week, let's go with Adam McKeonan. We'll be in touch on, I want to say Instagram, but I can't remember. It was on some social medium anyway. Um, but until next week, uh, enjoy your Valentine's night if you're listening on the Thursday. Enjoy your weekend, if not, and take it easy. Take it easy.